Welcome back to The Law. I am D.K. Williams. This is episode 15, Salinas versus Texas. It's a 2013 case. It is one of the worst Supreme Court cases in the past 100 years. It is right up there next to Wickard v. Filburn, which we talked about. And that's the one that said, Congress can use the power to regulate interstate commerce to regulate activity that is neither interstate nor commerce. Salinas v. Texas says you have to speak to exercise your right to remain silent. I kid you not. And we'll be discussing that today. As always, The Law with D.K. Williams is brought to you by the Launchpad Media Network, always launching ideas in your direction. Find us at thelaunchpadmedia.com. And remember, follow me on Twitter if you would, and on Facebook. Twitter is at BlueCarp, facebook.com slash BlueCarp. We can continue the discussion there. Let me know what you think. Have any comments, questions, I would love to hear from you. And please welcome our first sponsors of The Law with D.K. Williams, Dagny Vandriot and Grant Vandriot with Auto Fire Guard. They patented a new firefighting device called the Fireball and spent the better part of the last few years getting it approved for use in the USA. To learn more about the newest innovation in fire prevention technology, visit www.autofireguard.com or purchase one on Amazon. Not only are these systems automatic and less expensive than traditional fire extinguishers, they are two times the power, three times the life, and 100% less maintenance. And they look like house decorations. This is a must holiday gift to your friends and family. How do they work? When they're touched by a flame, an airbag type device inside opens a ball and disperses the 100% safe fire retardant into the fire, attacking the fire's chemical chain reaction and stopping the flames. Then it absorbs 2,100 degrees plus of temperature, resulting in substantial fire extinguishment. What kind of fires? It works on all fire types, but it works best on types A, B, and C, which includes electronic fires. Does it affect the oxygen in the room? It does not. It only reacts with the flame, leaving oxygen levels alone. Bottom line is that AFG supports this podcast. Please support AFG, the auto fire guard, by purchasing this fascinating, innovative, life-saving device on Amazon and showing some love with positive reviews. Check it out. Let them know you heard about it on The Law with D.K. Williams. Go to autofireguard.com. Check it out. Contact them. Buy it. Let them know you heard about them on The Law with D.K. Williams. All right. Salinas versus Texas. Only five years old. Like I said, it was decided in 2013. Who was Salinas? Genevieve Salinas. Of course, when I see that name, the first thing I think of is the Chris Christopherson song, most notably performed by Janis Joplin, Me and Bobby McGee, where Janis sings, Somewhere near Salinas, Lord, I let him slip away. Well, that's the same name of the defendant in this case that went all the way to the Supreme Court. Genevieve Salinas. Texas, of course, is the state of Texas. So what happened to Genevieve Salinas? Way back in 1992, two brothers were shot and killed in their Houston house. There were no witnesses, but a neighbor heard gunshots, saw someone run out of the house, and speed away in a dark-colored car. Police came. They recovered six shotgun shell casings at the scene. Investigation led police to Salinas. He had been a guest at a party the victims hosted the night before they were killed. Police went to Salinas at his house. They saw a dark blue car in the driveway. 
and he agreed to hand over his shotgun for ballistics testing and to accompany police downtown for questioning. And stop right there. Don't ever agree to go downtown for questioning, and don't ever agree to hand over any potential piece of evidence without a warrant. But he did, because he didn't listen to the law with D.K. Williams. The interrogation with the police lasted about an hour. All agreed that the interview was non-custodial, and that's important, because if it's non-custodial, you can leave at any time. You're not under arrest. If you're under arrest, they've got to redo your Miranda warnings. But if you're just there voluntarily and you can leave any time, they don't have to Mirandize you. For most of the interview, Salinas answered the, answered the questions the cops were asking him. But when they asked him about a shotgun, his shotgun, they asked, would your shotgun match the shells recovered at the scene of the murder? Salinas shut up. He just looked down at the floor, shuffled his feet, bit his bottom lip, clenched his hands in his lap, and began to tighten up. At least that's how the police described it. In any event, he shut up. He'd been answering questions, asked about the shotgun that he owned, that he gave the cops to look at, if the shell casings they found at the scene of the murder would match his shotgun. There are no ballistics that work like that for a shotgun. Ballistics work for handguns and rifles because the barrel is rifled and the mark on the bullets are different for each one. At least that's the theory. I don't buy all that forensic stuff. The FBI screwed up all kinds of things and convicted people based on ridiculous, fraudulent evidence. But even accepting this notion of ballistic testing on bullets from rifles and pistols, it's not the same thing for their shotgun. The shotgun pellets don't get markings on them, and the inside of a shotgun barrel is smooth. In any event, so the cops were not telling him the truth about whether or not they could match up shotgun shells with his shotgun. But he believed it, and he shut up. So after the interview, police arrested him, but not for the murder. They arrested him for outstanding traffic warrants. So notwithstanding the traffic warrants, prosecutors just decided they didn't have enough evidence to charge him with the murders back in 92. He was let go. A few days later, police are continuing their investigation, they get a statement from a man who said he had heard Salinas confess to the killings. Based on that evidence, prosecutors decided to charge Salinas, but he was gone. They couldn't find him. Some 15 years later, police discovered Salinas in 2007 living in the Houston area under an assumed name. Hey, if you're going to run away, if you're going to change your name, you might want to move to another city. So at his trial, he did not testify, which is almost always a good idea. Sometimes it makes sense, but generally speaking, it's not a good idea to testify. And over his objection, the prosecutors used his reaction to the questioning during this 93 interview as evidence of his guilt. Now get that. He didn't answer the question. He shut up. He exercised his right to remain silent. And the cops, the prosecutors, argued to the jury that the way he reacted when asked about the shotgun was indicative of his guilt, the way he reacted. Didn't say a word. He shut up about it. But they said his reaction makes him guilty or made is evidence of his guilt. Seems like a pretty clear violation of the right to remain silent, right? They cannot use, the, you cannot draw a negative inference from the, from the refusal to testify. Because otherwise, what good is it? If the judge can tell the jury, yeah, he did not testify. He has a right not to testify. But if he was really innocent, he would have gotten on the stand and told you he was innocent. So you, that's the negative inference, right? He must be guilty because he didn't testify. That eviscerates the right to remain silent. Nevertheless, that's basically what they did here. Now we're going to get into some of the differences, but they used his silence against him. Salinas found guilty of the murder, sentenced to 20 years. They appealed it to the Texas Court of Appeals. They upheld the conviction. Went to the Texas Supreme Court. They upheld the conviction. And that's how we get to the U.S. Supreme Court. And that's, this is the case we are discussing. So the issue is, does using a defendant's silence at trial, as evidence of his guilt, violate his right to remain silent. That's the issue. The Supreme Court said, no, it does not violate your right to remain silent. And I'll quote, Petitioner's Fifth Amendment claim fails. 
Fifth Amendment is the amendment that says you have the right to remain silent. It, it literally says you cannot be compelled to testify against yourself. Petitioner's Fifth Amendment claim fails because he did not expressly invoke the privilege against self-incrimination in response to the officer's question. In other words, he did not say, I'm exercising my right to remain silent under the Fifth Amendment. And because he did not say something, he wasn't exercising his right to remain silent. To exercise your right to remain silent, you have to say something. That's right up there with Wickard, right? It's absurd. How did they get there? First of all, there are separate opinions in this case. Alito wrote the opinion for the uh, decision, but he only had two other people join that decision. So as Alito wrote it, Chief Justice Roberts and Kennedy joined the main decision. How could that be the decision, right? How could that be? How could three people have the deciding difference in how this case goes? Well, there was a concurring opinion joined on by Scalia. And concurring in a judgment means they agreed with the outcome that the government didn't violate Selena's right to remain silent without constitutional justification. They just came to it a different way. As it, this is how it starts off, quoting, Without being placed in custody, which means he wasn't arrested, or receiving Miranda warnings, petitioner, now they say petitioner and not Salinas, his name, because they don't think of parties as people. His name makes it more personal so they don't use it. Back to the quote. Petitioner voluntarily answered the questions of a police officer who was investigating a murder. But petitioner, Salinas, balked when the officer asked whether a ballistics test would show that the shell casings found at the crime scene would match Salinas's shotgun. Salinas, petitioner, was subsequently charged with murder and at trial, prosecutors argued that his reaction to the officer's question suggested that he was guilty. Petitioner claims that this argument violated the Fifth Amendment, which guarantees that, quote, no person shall be compelled in any criminal case to be a witness against himself. Now get this, quoting, Petitioner's Fifth Amendment claim fails because he did not expressly invoke the privilege against self-incrimination in response to the officer's question couple of things on this. First of all, the cops are lying about the ballistics test on the shotgun. We already talked about that. They don't have the type of ballistic test for shotguns. And if somebody wants to educate me on that, please do. But pistols and rifles have rifling in the barrel, which puts a spin on the bullets as they're shot, projected from the firearm through the barrel, puts a spin on it, what makes them more accurate. Supposedly they can look at those marks, figure out which gun fired which bullet, but that's the theory. Shotguns don't have rifling in the barrel. There are no identify identifying marks on those individual pellets fired from a shotgun. So it's just another example how the government can lie to you, another reason not to talk to the police. Now you can say, hey, how you doing? How about the weather? But that's about it. And I'm not saying to be rude. Don't be rude. You can say something like, if you've been asked a question about something, you can just say, officer, I, I've heard about people getting convicted for making inaccurate statements to law enforcement, and I would never want to do such a thing. So I've got a personal policy not to make statements to government agents unless the questions are submitted under oath or I'm subject to a court order of some kind, and it's because I have so much respect for the process. I don't dare answer any questions without sufficient research and preparation. Now, you can keep your tongue in cheek as you say this, but you're not being rude, you're being polite, and you are legitimately asserting your rights. And that's what we have to do, even when we don't have anything to hide, especially when we don't have anything to hide. You've got to assert your rights or they disappear. So back to the holding, where Alita wrote, Petitioner's Fifth Amendment claim fails because he did not expressly invoke the privilege against self-incrimination. I just have to keep saying that to believe it. In order to invoke your right to remain silent, you must speak. You can't make this stuff up. They say this multiple times in the opinion. It's obscene. They have prior decisions that they're relying on to support this decision. But to the extent they rely on those, they are wrong too. 
And we've talked about this in the past. If a physicist discovers that what everybody thought for 20 years is wrong, he's celebrated. He's like, well, good. We, fight, we learned something. We were wrong. But it doesn't work that way in the law. If somebody's wrong 100 years ago, the entire philosophy is to, is to stay wrong. And that's one of the major problems with the expansion of the federal government's power and the way the Supreme Court has treated it in courts in general. But the Supreme Court, the U.S., has got the final say in a whole lot of these issues. In any case, that stands for the proposition that you have to speak to invoke your right to remain silent is wrong on his face. So what does Alito opinion mean as a practical matter to what happened to Salinas? So basically, according to Alito in the three-person majority here, after answering some questions, he's cooperating, right? He's not under arrest, he's cooperating, which is a mistake, but that's what he's doing. He's answering questions. Then when he got to the shotgun question, Alito says he should say something to the effect of, I'm sorry, officers, at this point on this question, I'm asserting my right to remain silent as protected by the Fifth Amendment. Just let that sink in. The Supreme Court has held in this case that your right doesn't exist unless you verbally announce it. That's not a right, that's a parlor trick. And as a practical matter, when asked about the ballistics, if Salinas had said something to the effect of, I affirmatively, affirmatively assert my right against self-incrimination as protected by the Fifth Amendment to the U.S. Constitution, then they couldn't use his failure to respond against him. But by actually exercising his right to remain silent and not saying that, he lost it. He lost that right, according to Alito. Thomas and Scalia ruled in their concurring opinion, which is not the, the rule of the law, not the rule of law, but they said even if he had done that, they could still have used his silence. Bad as the majority opinion is, well, Thomas and Scalia's concurrence is even worse. So why does the Supreme Court reach this decision? I mean, why do they do this? Why are they always, not always, but frequently, why are they frequently, more often than not, expanding government power over the individual? Well, I submit it's because the decisions like this helps armed government agents get convictions. And this ignores the entire point of the Bill of Rights, which is to rein in government agents, to rein in the power of the government. You have the natural right to remain silent. This country is based on the concept of natural rights, which is basically the non-aggression principle. But you have the right to not say anything as a human being. And let me get into this quickly. The Bill of Rights applies to non-citizens and even to illegal immigrants. The Constitution uses the word citizen 11 times. It uses it in Article 1, Section 2, among the qualifications to be able to be elected to the House of Representatives. You must be a citizen. In Section 3, it uses the word, same idea, but for the qualifications to be elected to the U.S. Senate. In Article 2, the requirements to be president are listed. Again, the word citizen is used. Article 3, Section 2, citizen is used four times in describing how the federal court has jurisdiction over different cases. For example, if they're citizens of two different states, federal court can, can hear it. So citizen is used there several times. Then in Article 4, Section 2, the Constitution talks about the privileges and immunities of citizens. Okay, so that's where it's used. They know what citizen means. They use it when they want to use it. But the Bill of Rights doesn't say citizens. It says people. The right of the people shall not be infringed. And the people means everyone. But only a citizen can be a senator, for example. The use of citizens in some places and the use of people in others is not an accident. It's on purpose. And the applicable part of the Fifth Amendment is no person shall be compelled in any criminal case to be a witness against himself. So again, it's no person not no citizen. This part of Amendment 5, the Fifth Amendment, that you can't be compelled to be a witness against yourself means, as a practical matter, the government cannot make you talk. But with or without the Bill of Rights, you've got the natural right to stay quiet. Can your neighbor or your cousin make you talk? Not without using force against you. And if they use force against you, they're violating your self-ownership. They're violating the non-aggression principle. The Fifth Amendment 
is just saying that the government will not use its authority over people to violate that natural right, the right to remain silent. But I digress, which I have been known to do. So let's look at what Salinas did when the police came to talk to him. He agreed to hand over a shotgun and go downtown to talk with them. That's a mistake. Assert your rights always, not just when you have something to hide, like we were talking about, when you don't. Because rights are like muscles. If you don't use them, they atrophy. So if someone comes to your house with a gun and a badge and asks to look around, say no. And again, be polite about it. One more thing to remember. Record the interaction. Always record interactions with government agents. Record your own, and with technology today, it should not be difficult to do. But if you see, perhaps, a friend of yours or an acquaintance or anybody in an interaction with police, record it. You can help them out by doing that. I mean, I'm not saying if you're on the way to the hospital to deliver a baby to stop and record it, but if you can, stop and record it. Here's some of the scary language in the opinion. Alita wrote, We granted certiori, which means we agreed to hear this case, to resolve a division of authority in the lower courts over whether the prosecution, that's the government, may use a defendant's assertion of the privilege against self-incrimination during a non-custodial police interview as part of its case-in-chief. That's a lot of legalese, I know. But what the issue that they originally going to decide was whether or not if a defendant who's not been arrested, so it's a non-custodial interview, if he says, I assert my Fifth Amendment rights, whether or not that can be used against him, like that is an admission of guilt. The court comes back to Salinas and says, but because petitioner Salinas did not invoke the privilege during his interview, we find it unnecessary to reach that question. This is insane. The government wants to use your invocation of the Fifth Amendment against you because you haven't been arrested? That's what the government was arguing. Now, the Supreme Court didn't rule on that, but that's what the government is trying to say. So the government is making a distinction here between invoking the Fifth Amendment verbally, saying, I invoke my Fifth Amendment rights. If you're not arrested, it's got the opposite effect than if you are arrested. Now, again, the Supreme Court doesn't say this. They may in the future, but they haven't said this. But this is what the government is arguing. So if a police officer walks up to you, you're not, a, you're not under arrest. He just walks up to you and says, hey, do you know anything about that window broken over there where that valuable painting was stolen? If you say, oh, I invoke my Fifth Amendment rights against self-incrimination, the government wants to use that against you like, oh, you must be guilty. Because we weren't making you say anything. You weren't arrested. You volunteered that. But... If you have been arrested, then you must say it. It's bad enough that they just did the second half of this in this case, where they declare the Supreme Court does say that if you want to invoke your right to remain silent, you have to say something about it. Again, more reason to, to ask if you're being detained and are free to go. If so, go. If not, affirmatively invoke the right to remain silent. And who's going to understand this? Almost no one, not even most lawyers. It's a sad joke that the court has made of the Constitution in, in this particular case of the Fifth Amendment right against self-incrimination. Court goes on, Section 2A of the opinion starts with this gem. Get this. The privilege against self-incrimination is an exception to the general principle that the government has the right to everyone's testimony, end quote. That is an appalling sentence. The government has no right to anything. It has authority it has authority to use its monopoly on the legal use of the initiation of force or aggression on people. We have to keep hammering this point, never yield on this point. We can recognize the courts have got this government rights principle wrong. Government doesn't have rights, government has authority. And then a major part that's of the sentence that's additionally appalling is that the government, even if you say authority instead of right, which is more accurate, the government has the authority to get everyone's testimony. I mean, we're talking Soviet Union tyranny right there. But at least they're acknowledging that there's an exception to that authority, and that's the privilege against self-incrimination. They got it all backwards. You've got the right to remain silent, period. The Constitution says the government cannot compel you 
to speak and that it will not use its authority to punish you because you choose to remain silent. Except the court is putting that on his head here. They're, they're, they're eviscerating that concept. Later on, they reiterate this idea that they're getting wrong, and the court says, quote, insisting that witnesses expressly invoke the privilege assures that the government obtains all the information to which it is entitled, end quote. Again, an offensive statement. The government is not entitled to information. It might have the authority to get it. Maybe that's too fine a line, but follow me here. No one has the right to make you speak. Not your neighbor, not the guy sitting next to you, not your cousin, and not the government agent. For example, the census is coming up. The government has been given the constitutional authority to ask how many people live in your house, and if you exercise your right against speaking, the government then has given itself the constitutional authority to compel you to answer that question. The Constitution doesn't grant you rights. It lists the ways the government can legally, constitutionally infringe on your rights. If the government can compel you to answer the sentence, it can arrest you, even though you're not imminent threat to anyone. You can't go up to someone, you and I can't go up to someone and force them into a cage, but the government can because the Constitution gives them that authority. The Constitution gives the government, the state, its agents, authority to violate your rights. And the Constitution is supposed to list all the times the court can do that, or the government can do that. There aren't supposed to be any power that the government has to make you do something, or make you pay for something, or make you subject to regulation, unless that has been expressly authorized to the federal government, and that's what Article 1, Section 8, and the enumerated powers are. It's a list of things the government can do and force you to participate in. But now, the Supreme Court is treating the government as if it has rights to make you do things, whether or not they're enumerated. The court continues, again, quoting, We have held that a witness failure to invoke the privilege must be excused where government coercion makes his forfeiture of the privilege involuntary. Thus, in Miranda, we said that a suspect who is subjected to the inherently compelling pressures of an unwarned custodial interrogation need not invoke the privilege. He doesn't have to say, I'm invoking the privilege of being quiet. Due to the uniquely coercive nature of custodial interrogation, that's when you're arrested, a suspect in custody cannot be said to have voluntarily foregone the privilege unless he fails to claim it after being suitably warned. Basically, if you've been arrested, you can just shut up. And that's why they read you the Miranda rights to tell you that. That's the idea behind it. But Salinas had not been arrested when he shut up when that one question came up. And the only reason this is a legal distinction is, again, it's to make getting convictions easier for the government. And that, again, goes against the entire premise of the Bill of Rights and what the revolutionaries fought for. Remember episode one of the law? That's where we discussed the government has the ability, the authority, to offer freedom in exchange. Let's say somebody's in jail. The government can say, hey, you testify for us. We'll give you 10 years off your sentence. Government can do that. They've got the authority to do that. But if you go up to a witness and say, here's 10 bucks, just testify honestly, okay? Okay, you've committed a felony. You've offered 10 bucks for testimony. But what's worth more, 10 bucks or 10 years off of, your, of, a, of a sentence? That's another wrongfully decided case. So go back, if you wish, go back and listen to episode one where we talk about that. Now, the Supreme Court didn't get to that one. That was the 10th Circuit. The panel originally said that the government couldn't do that. They couldn't offer somebody years off a sentence in exchange for testimony. But then it went to the the entire Tenth Circuit, which overturned that three-judge panel, and then when it, when that entire circuit on banc, everybody, all the judges in the Tenth Circuit, when that opinion was appealed to the U.S. Supreme Court, the U.S. Supreme Court declined to hear it. Back to Salinas, the court says, We have held that threats to withdraw a government benefit, such as public employment, 
sometimes make exercise of the privilege so costly that it need not be affirmatively asserted. So the Supreme Court here is weighing what government sanctions are harsh enough where your natural right to remain silent can or cannot be infringed without the magic incantation, I hereby assert my right to remain silent as guaranteed by the Fifth Amendment of the U.S. Constitution. Again, they're weighing your rights. Your rights exist, and unless the government has specific authority to override those rights, to violate those rights, they can't do it. But no, now the Supreme Court is going, ah, we have to weigh all these factors to see when the government can violate your rights or when they can't. And this attitude continues. The court says, where the assertion of the privilege would itself tend to incriminate, we have allowed witnesses to exercise the privilege through silence. All right, again, they have allowed it. Like they're sitting on a throne, like they're a monarch, issuing declarations at their whim. So sometimes you can exercise your Fifth Amendment right to stay silent by just saying silent. Other times you have to invoke it because that's what they have allowed. Supreme Court then goes on, quote, it would have been a simple matter for Salinas to say that he was not answering the officer's question on Fifth Amendment grounds. Because he failed to do so, the prosecution's use of his silence did not violate the Fifth Amendment. This is insane. You have to exercise your right to remain silent by talking. It's Alice in Wonderland absurd. And what kind of person is going to know this? To know they have to say, I'm invoking my Fifth Amendment rights. Or even, I'm invoking my right to remain silent. Who's going to know this? No one is going to know this. At best, they might know they have the right to remain silent. You know, you hear that on TV all the time. But even if they do, none of them is going to know when they have to expressly say, I'm exercising my right to be silent. None of them. The court goes on and, and talks about another argument that they reject. Salinas urges us to adopt an exception to the invocation requirement that you have to say it. The, I'm invoking my Fifth Amendment rights. An exception for cases in which a witness stands mute and thereby declines to give an answer, which is what he did. Our cases all but foreclose such an exception. Get this. Which would needlessly burden the government's interests in obtaining testimony and prosecuting criminal activity. End of the quote. Are you kidding me? Needlessly burden the government's interest in obtaining testimony and prosecuting criminal activity? Unfortunately, they are serious. Burdening the government's interest is the entire point of the Bill of Rights. I mean, if we're going to say that your natural rights don't matter because if you exert them, it makes it harder for the cops to get a conviction, you might as well say, hey, you know what? That Fourth Amendment and the requirement to get warrants makes it harder for cops to get convictions. Therefore, you know, you don't really have that right, which is exactly what they're doing here with the Fifth Amendment. Sometimes you don't have the right because of the government's interest in getting convictions. They keep up the steam. Quote, if we accept Selena's argument, it would do little to protect those genuinely relying on the Fifth Amendment privilege. They're going to decide who's genuine, genuinely doing it and who's doing it facetiously. So it would do little to protect those genuinely relying on the Fifth Amendment privilege while placing a needless new burden on society's interest in the admission of evidence that can lead to a finding of guilt. The Fifth Amendment does not address society's interests. This is me. The Fifth Amendment addresses individuals' rights. And to discuss how society's interests overcome an individual's rights, it's not what the it's the opposite of what the Constitution says, and it's an incredibly collective idea that society is more important than the individual. This shouldn't be difficult, but status have perverted the Constitution to where it's now treated as protecting a government interest. The Constitution wasn't adopted to protect the government interest. It was adopted for the opposite. It was adopted to protect individuals. But here the court's going on about the government interest and how the Constitution allows for the government interest to be more important 
than the right to remain silent in this particular case. Court goes on. Salinas worries that officers could unduly pressure suspects into talking by telling them that their silence could be used against them in a future prosecution. End of that quote. As Mr. Bumble and Oliver Twist said, the law is an ass. Anyone has seen Making a Murder on Netflix? Have you seen that? You know how an unintelligent, low IQ teenager can be manipulated into giving answers the cops want. Police don't need more leeway in interrogations. They need less leeway. As a quick aside, every inter interrogation should be recorded. It was in Making a Murderer, and it should be. Every single one of them. With today's technology, again, there's no reason that every police interview should not be recorded. And I would go further than that. If it's not recorded, the police can't use it. But we're certainly not there. But where are we? In order to invoke your right to remain silent, you must say something. goes right up there with... The notion that the government can regulate things that are neither interstate nor commerce because the Interstate Commerce Clause gives them that authority. The Constitution is being interpreted by the Supreme Court to say the opposite of what it says. But as bad as Alito's opinion is, the dissent by Thomas, who's joined by Scalia, is even worse. Thomas wrote, In my view, Salinas' claim would fail even if he had invoked the privilege because the prosecutor's comments regarding his pre-custodial silence before he was arrested did not compel him to give self-incriminating testimony. So according to Thomas and Scalia, even if Salinas had said, I invoke my right as protected by the Fifth Amendment to remain silent, Thomas and Scalia would still admit that statement as evidence of guilt. The fact that he didn't say, that he refused to answer after he asserted his Fifth Amendment right to remain silent, they would still allow that silence, his refusal to answer, to be used against him. Now, Thomas explains that he thinks the government should be able to argue that a criminal defendant not taking the stand is evidence of guilt. That he thinks that the government should be able to say, see that guy right there? If he was innocent, he would have taken the stand and told you so. He didn't. So that's evidence he's guilty. He's got a guilty conscience. They can't do that now, and they shouldn't be able to do that now because it destroys the right to remain silent. But that's what Thomas thinks, and Scalia. The dissent by Breyer, joined by Ginsburg, Sotomayor, and Kagan got it right. Again, they were the four in the five-to-four decision, so they lose. One justice makes the difference. The dissent does point out a factual part of the case that the majority opinions do not. They point out that the cops asked Salinas to come to the police station to, quote, take photographs and to clear him as a suspect. I just mentioned this because when the police say something like that, they're lying. They don't want to clear you. They say, oh, we, come on down. We want to clear you. That is a lie. They never want to clear you. They might end up clearing you. That's not their goal. They're not, hey, come on down. We just got to do a few things to clear you. No, they're bold-faced lying when they say that. So don't fall for the lies. Never talk to the police. Record every interaction with them. And when you are arrested and they're asking you questions, say affirmatively, I am asserting my right to remain silent as guaranteed under the Fifth Amendment to the U.S. Constitution or something like that. That's what this case says. You have to say something to get the ability to not say something. It's a ridiculous notion that in order to exercise your right to stay silent, you cannot stay silent. To quote Farmer Ted in 16 Candles, very nice. I'm at a loss. And indeed, I am. And I'm D.K. Williams, and this has been The Law, Episode 15, Salinas versus Texas from 2013. We're brought to you by the Launchpad Media Network, always launching ideas in your direction. Find us at thelaunchpadmedia.com and go to autofireguard.com and check it out. Tell them DK Williams sent you. Holler at me with your comments. Twitter at bluecarp, facebook.com slash bluecarp. Freedom is dangerous, my friends. Live dangerously.